The following is a production of Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. All right, you guys, bring it in for another edition of Green Over Everything, the Green Over Everything podcast presented by Best in the World Sports, where we talk everything Eagles. So when we talk Eagles, we got to bring in my man, 50 Grand. He also co-hosts the off the show Offense, Defense, and Discourse a podcast that you can find on all of our outlets and you can hear it on phillygoflow.com let me bring in my man mike jones mike what is good oh man it's a beautiful day it is a beautiful day it's it's a lot and we we're ready for some football because we have to wash that foul taste out of our mouths from last week last sunday left, left a pretty foul foul taste in our mouths but, did it? Yes, it did. I think anytime anytime the Eagles lose, anytime you're talking about an Eagles loss, you are talking about a foul taste in your mouth. I think you know, there's there'll never be a situation where a loss is a good thing. Now sometimes not, some losses not some, not a good thing, but mm-hmm. it didn't hurt that bad last week. I I, I don't know. It, it hurt me pretty bad. Now, understand something. Understand that I am not talking about, this is not doom and gloom. Like, I'm not ready, I'm not panicking. There are some concerns. There are concerns. But I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm not, you know, there there are things I hope get better. There are things I am concerned about. However, losing is, you know, I'll never be cool with losing. But I will say this. I will say this. You know, you and I, we during games, we go back and forth. Sometimes, whether it's on Twitter, sometimes I'll send you a text. We were in the fourth quarter of that game on Sunday night, and I was preparing to send you a text because I felt like the, the way the game was playing out, it spoke to, it speaks to a point that you make frequently when we talk football and that point is the Atlanta Falcons are frauds and I still feel that way after that game oh no oh and and I agree I will say this I walk away from that game still believing what you said the Atlanta Falcons are frauds now when you lose you know it, it takes a little off of it it's like okay it's hard to call a team that just beat you frauds. However, I look at why I look at why you called why you called them frauds. And I felt like the reason why you called them frauds played a part in that entire game. The oh, Atlanta absolutely. The Atlanta Falcons were never able although the Atlanta Falcons jumped out to a to a lead. The, and the Atlanta the Eagles were shorthanded. And the Eagles were shorthanded. The Atlanta Falcons were never able to fully put the Eagles away. The Eagles, the Eagles stayed close most of the, the game. Eagles were one, the Eagles were one drop pass and six inches by Zach Ertz away from really challenging to win that game. Yes. You had always and, said you always said that the the Falcons you believe that the Falcons were frauds primarily because of the way that their offense is constructed. That's an and all, their defense. And their defense. But I guess on, for me, what was 
painfully obvious about watching the Atlanta Falcons was although they had a lead for a long time and it took the Eagles a while, it took the Eagles into the fourth quarter to take the lead. The Falcons couldn't put the ball, they couldn't put the game away. And yeah. the reason why they couldn't put the game away was because they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't, you know, they they didn't have, they couldn't construct one of those long, time-consuming drives. 12, 13 plays, eight minutes off the clock. You're running the ball and mm-hmm. first down. You never, you never saw five. that in the game. You never saw that from the Atlanta Falcons. So the Eagles were always around, always in a, in a position to make a play. And... Now, I'll, I will take my hat off to Julio Jones. In the end, the Atlanta Falcons won because a good football player made a good football play. Absolutely. You know, you know there's nothing you could say about that. That was no fluke. That was no, you know, that all that was was a one of the, the, the best wide receivers in football making a play when you needed him to. Now, yes, you can you can take a look at the last couple of times that the Eagles played the Falcons. And yeah, you know what? Julio Jones missed some opportunities, but Julio Jones is no slouch. And if you give him, if you give Julio Jones enough opportunities to go out and win you a game, he's going to go out and win you a game. And that's what happened last Sunday. That was a great football player making a great football play. However, no however, the fact still remains. You know what? That team doesn't scare me. That no. team shouldn't scare me. That that team shouldn't scare you. If you're an Eagles fan, you look at that Atlanta Falcons team. It's like, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, that's what you're when, thinking. When you, when you consider the way the Eagles' offense struggled in the first half to get going, being down three of their top, I guess top five wet receiving targets, mm-hmm. the number the top two receivers in Jackson and Jeffrey, and the number two tight end and Goddard, who does play a lot. Yes. That left the Eagles offense not only shorthanded, but out of rhythm for the first half. You got guys who didn't see a lot of stats to practice with the ones, Mm -hmm. guys who aren't in their optimal situations, Aguilar having to play on the outside. We know that's not his favorite place to to be. That pass he dropped, at the end of the game, that was a potential game-winning touchdown. Mm-hmm. That was Aguilar playing on the outside. Yep. So, when you keep those factors in mind and then see that the game was as close to going the other way as it was, it leaves me with the feeling that should the Eagles get back to full strength, that's a game they win. Exactly. Especially, especially being in Atlanta and still saying the Eagles still hanging around the way they did. Exactly. You put you put a a full strength team, a team with Alshon, a team with Djax, team with Goddard against that Atlanta team. I, honestly, Eagles could win that game. Walk, you know, going away by two score. Two. You're talking a two touchdown game. This is a team that needed a lot. They needed a miracle play by a great wide receiver to beat a team missing their number one wide receiver, their number two wide receiver, and their number two uh, tight end. Mm-hmm. So not to mention not to mention the defensive injuries the Eagles have as well. Yes, agreed. Malik Jackson went down in week one for the season. 
now we're here in Timmy Journey again with the foot injury is down for probably about six weeks, an injury that occurred during week two against the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. Now, how are how so can some, now let's talk about some of these injuries. I feel like one of the things that we've talked about as far as the Eagles this season has been how deep they are. However, you get to a game like last Sunday where you're missing some players and then it becomes a struggle. You look at this defense and as tough as this defense can be, they do have their Achilles heels. They Nam- do. Namely the secondary and also their ability to get some pressure on the quarterback. Now we did see a lot more blitzing on uh this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. They they were able to get more pressure than they were in week one. Well, through the first two weeks, Derek Barnett, while he hasn't seen a lot of stats, is actually second in the league behind only Miles Garrett with six quarterback hits. Mm-hmm. So he is getting pressure on the quarterback. He's not necessarily getting home with the sacks, mm-hmm. but he's getting pressure. Getting pressure on the quarter. He's getting pressure, but I still feel like one year looking at a team with what, two sacks on the season? So it's you know that they're capable of getting back there, but they have to finish the play. And that's not what that's not happening enough so far this season. They're getting back there. You know, just like you said, you know, Derek Barnett is getting to the quarterback. He's what sec you said second in the league in quarterback hits, correct? Through two weeks, yeah. Through two he weeks, had second. Six, Miles Garrett had seven. Okay. <laughs> second in the league. So you you know that this you know it's possible. We know it's possible. And we saw it in the game. And I think honestly, if you're somebody who has been begging for Jim Schwartz to dial up the blitz and to blitz more and to get more pressure on the quarterback. I don't think you're necessarily unhappy with the way the Eagles lost the game on Sunday. That's, you know, you win some, you lose some. You've been sitting there begging him to, you know, if if anything, if you're an Eagles fan and you have been begging for, you have been asking for, asking for more pressure. If you've been asking for more pressure from that defense, you're hoping that Jim Schwartz doesn't revert back to his old ways. Now, now, see that I, do, I do have one thing I want to say about that since you bring mm-hmm. up Jim Schwartz's scheme mm-hmm. and people's desire to see more pressure from Schwartz. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question from you. Okay. And, you know, this is not a difficult question at all. How many times has Tom Brady lost in the Super Bowl? Three. What teams beat him in the Super Bowl? Giants twice, Eagles once. Do you know what those three teams have in common? What? They all played defense by rushing the passer with four players. Mm-hmm. None of those teams were known for bringing extra pass. Okay. Which means you still have seven in coverage to defend against Tom Brady throwing. Mm-hmm. Because if you blitz a good quarterback, i.e. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, they will recognize where it's coming from and pick you apart. That is true. That is true. But I think that uh, there's a yeah. huge there's a huge difference between 
all right, you know, I understand yeah. the, I understand the desire to run your defense and only rush four. And now, that's cool if you're if if your four is getting pressure, then you know there's exactly. no problem. If your and four that's is getting exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, that if, four has to get home. If your four is not getting to the if your four is if you can't get to the quarterback with your four at some point in time, I understand you can't blitz every down. You're not gonna blitz every play. You know, it's not gonna be blitzing all night. However, you have to throw that quarterback off, you know, off balance at some point. Agreed. You do have to throw quarter wrinkles at quarterback. So to try to keep to keep them on their toes. But back to what I was saying earlier, those upper echelon quarterbacks in the league, how often are you truly able to fool them or surprise them with your defense scheme? So that being said, because Ian itself isn't going to fool those guys, unless you have a real monster-type player who's going to wreak havoc when you send that extra blitzer, you're really better off leaving seven in coverage. Because we've seen repeatedly how these guys literally pick people apart. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, then that brings us to this week's matchup with the Detroit Lions. And mm-hmm. you know the casual fan will look at the schedule, see Detroit Lions, and not be considerable and not really be too worried. You know, it's, it's the Lions. Lions are what? Oh, uh, 1-0 and oh, Excuse me, one Oh, and one still can't believe they tied in the first game of the season, but still, you know, it is what it is. And Arizona Cardinals were able to pull off the miraculous second half comeback. Yep. But we're, we're talking about a defense that at times struggles to get pressure with cornerbacks, with, with cornerbacks and DBs who've gotten beaten. You're looking at Matt Stafford, you're looking at Kenny Galladay, and you're looking at Marvin Jones. Now, and I wouldn't ignore Danny Amendola. Danny, and, and Dan, yeah, Danny Amendola is no slouch either. This is a very capable receiving core and a quarterback who can make plays. <laughs> Matt, Matt, you know, what, whether you Matthew want to call Stafford Matt Stafford and- elite or whatever, you know, that's that's a different conversation. But Matt, Matt, Sla- Matt Stafford not a, ain't not garbage. Elite. Not elite, but one of the most talented throwers in the league. He'll get you the ball. He'll he'll sling the rock. Yes, you can make you he's the type of person you can make make mistakes. So but you know the arm talent is clearly there. Yeah, the arm talent is clearly there. So my question to you is is this is Matt Stafford the type of guy you want to just try and get pressure with with four? Or are you sending him guys? Well to that question Jim Schwartz has played against Detroit and Matt Stafford, I believe, twice mm-hmm. since he's left Detroit. And his formula seems to be to bring pressure on Stafford. Mm-hmm. And now while I was just talking about those elite quarterbacks who will pick apart a blitz, mm-hmm. Matt Stafford is a guy who seems to be able to be pressured into making mistakes. So, you know, one thing – it's going to come cliche in sports among coaches. You'll always hear them say, know your personnel, know your personnel. Mm. Know the matchups, know what the strengths are, where their weaknesses are. So with this team, 
this game, I would personally lean towards the side of bringing pressure on Stafford. Now, for that to work, when you pressure a quarterback, you're generally, generally encouraging him to get the ball out of his hands quick. So, for the Eagles, the one concern I would have with that would be whether or not Schwartz leads his secondary, his corners, 10 yards back off the line of scrimmage, given that cushion to receivers. Because if that's the case and you blitz, quick outs and slants will kill you all day. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I thought I saw something. I I also saw that that I take that I will take note of in the game. I felt like yes, there were t- there were still times where you saw Eagles DBs playing back, giving them that cushion. But there were more times when they played up on the ball, up on the line of scrimmage, up on their receivers. You know, give you know jamming a little bit more, and it was refreshing. And it was pro- and honestly, it was probably refreshing enough to ease the sting of the loss. It's like, yes, they lost, but when you look at the reasons why they lost, once again, it's a great player making a great play, and it's the fact that you were missing a lot of players. Now there's still going to mm-hmm. be there's still going to be some injuries. Corey Clements probably not, Corey Clements out. Deshaun Jackson's Jackson out. Out. Jeffrey's and, out. And Jernigan is out. Now we know jo- now we know Jordan so Myalata's not out. And we all uh, and, and we're probably not going to have both Jackson. Both Jacksons are out to be clear. Deshaun and Malik. Yes. Malik for the season. Mm-hmm. Questionable. Dallas Goddard. Still not sure about him. Still not sure about uh, Alshon Jeffrey. And from what I'm hearing, Alshon is less likely to play than Deshaun. Mm-hmm. If Alshon's no. if Alshon's less likely to play than Deshaun, and Deshaun's already listed as out right now, Alshon Jeffries is listed listed as questionable. So pretty much what you're saying is they're going to go into this game without, without Alshon, yeah, without their top two receivers. And with that, I still expect the Eagles to be able to win this game. Okay, how do they win offensively? How do they win this game without? Uh, without Jackson, without Jeffrey, you still got hurt. Mm-hmm. You still have Nelson Aguilar, who, despite the one drop last week, did come back and make a nice catch right after it. He seems to be able to bounce back from the mistake. He may not be the most reliable receiver, or somebody you want as your number one, mm-hmm. but he, he's a valuable piece. I know a lot of people are down on him for that drop, and rightfully so. He did drop. I mean, there, there is no excuse. He dropped the pass he should have caught. There was a good chance had he caught that pass, the Eagles win that game or at least score a touchdown on that play. On that play. Yeah. However, honestly, he still made that big fourth down catch. Exactly. He, he still came right back. back. He bounced right back and still made a a, a, a decent football play. I can't be too mad at, at, at Nelson Aguilar. Yes, it disappoints me, not fully giving him a pass, but I'm not down on him. No, the, the play uh, he made two plays later after following the drop was actually a much tougher catch yes. than the one he, he dropped. But for a lot of people, honestly, for a lot of people, that's what makes the drop pass it's so drop frustrating. frustrating. 
Because it was like, you made that great play on the fourth down play two plays later, but you dropped a gimme. But nonetheless, I'm not down on, on Nelson. I can't be. I, 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 I truly, truly cannot be down on Nelson Aguilar for that. I, it's, it's, no. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Those plays happen. Those plays do happen. Those plays most certainly happen. So my que- so my question to you. Now, are you con- how concerned are you now? Cuz you cuz I feel like with Doug and right or wrong, fair or foul. I feel like Doug believes in his players to a fault. Whereas I agree. Doug has almost unwavering faith in his players. Yes. With what I would consider the one exception to be his running game. Okay. 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 Let me ask you. This is the Super Bowl year when you had Blunt and a Giant. Mm -hmm. Doug seemed to display more trust in his running backs than any other year that he's been with the the Eagles thus far. Because I feel like, and even once, in that season, yeah. it took a couple games for him to really warm up to them. I feel like on Sunday, you saw Carson Wentz continually trying to make plays to Arcega Whiteside and Nelson that he would normally make to Deshaun and Jeffrey. Just throwing out the fact that you're not throwing to Alshon and Deshaun anymore. Now, you just mentioned the rookie, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. He is a player that is very talented in having this full week of practice with the one. I expect he and Wentz to have better timing and chemistry this week. Mm -hmm. And that is a combination I would expect to be more effective going against the Detroit game than they were last week against Atlanta. That is a very shorthanded, talented rookie. He's not the fastest. But, mm-hmm. but I he'll make he plays. Should, I believe he'll, he should adequately be able to step into the Alshon Jeffrey role during his absence. Now, on the other side, in the Deshaun Jackson role, you're going to be looking at a combination of likely Greg Ward, Matt Collins, mm-hmm. and some Nelson Aguilar on the outside. You're going to need produ- production from Ward or Holland to really make the offense seem. I don't want to say full strength, but as close to full strength as possible, you will need production from Warder Matt Collins, which is always going to be a question. Matt Collins has some talent, caught literally nearly everything that was thrown to him his rookie year, and then in the year following, he pretty much lost the whole series season to some mysterious injuries. So now in his third year, we're waiting to see who Matt Collins truly is. But there's some talent there. He's shown the ability to catch the ball and get open. So we have to hope he can put that together this week in a productive performance with some of the bigger guys out. It will be interesting to see how Wentz is able to perform with this receiving core. It will be a good test for Wentz. To see, how can I say this? It will be a good test for Wentz to see if he is the type of quarterback who needs those big name receivers like 
Alshon and Deshaun to make plays for him, or is he the type of quarterback who's able to make receivers better? Indeed, indeed. So let's jump back to the defensive side of the ball real quick because I want to get your opinion on a story that's been floating around this week, and that is the (laughs) Eagles' possible acquisition of Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. I want now, you, I, okay. I want your initial the, thoughts when you hear that he has been his name tied to the Philadelphia Eagles. When you hear that, what are you thinking? <laughs> what, what What are your initial thoughts? My first thought, honestly, when I hear his name tied to the Eagles, yeah, okay, so what? And the and the reason my reaction is that is because the Eagles, Patriots. Rams, couple teams right now, that the Chiefs also, that when almost any name comes up on the market right now, these are the teams you're hearing players want to go to because of the opportunity to win. So hearing the Eagles name tied to Jalen Ramsey and also the Eagles, Hallie Roseman in that front office are one of the teams that they do their due diligence on any good player that becomes available, mm-hmm. whether or not they actually decide to make a real move. So my first thought was, eh, I'll get excited when I hear something actually happen. That being said, the potential of adding Jalen Ramsey to the Eagles defense is actually very exciting. You're looking at what quite possibly – the best cover guy in the league right now and adding him to a secondary that admittedly needs help. But however, should you add a Jalen Ramsey to that secondary and now Ronald Darby becomes your second best corner and Sidney Jones, Levante Maddox, Jalen Mills, or Sewell Douglas all slide down in the depth chart one, or possibly one of them has to get included in the trade to make it work. But now you have, at that point, one of the best cornerback rooms rather than one that's questionable. Mm-hmm. So the question. But- like Ronald Darby, he's a questionable number one corner, mm-hmm. but you make him your number two corner. And that and changes add everything. Ramsey at number one. That changes you're everything. You're looking at. Yeah, you're looking at one of the best cornerback duos in the league now. So what is too much to give up for uh, for Jalen Ramsey? Well, We've talked about wanting a, a, a number one draft pick, that they want, two number ones. They want two number ones with Minka Fitzpatrick just garnering a number one pick from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh's likely to have a relatively high draft pick with Roethlisberger being gone for the year before the trade. Mm-hmm. So that probably pushed the Jalen Ramsey asking price up. And now I'm hearing that's two picks, two first-round picks possibly, and, and a player as well. So now let's think about the Eagles. Should you add – you're already considered to be a playoff favorite, a, one of many people's Super Bowl picks. So you're expecting that pick to be 25 or later. Mm-hmm. And you're expecting the – pretty much a similar result the following year. So my question is, would you pay, pay, trade, 
pick number 25 and next year's pick number 28 for Jalen Ramsey. Absolutely. You, I wouldn't trade number three this year and number two next year mm-hmm. for Jalen Ramsey. If I'm the Dolphins, I'm not giving up those two first-round picks. Yeah. But for the Eagles, the Patriots, the Chiefs, teams that could or know they're going to have later picks, yeah, I'd absolutely consider making that move and think it was good value. So it's right, there. So what you're saying right now, you're saying right now, do the deal. If you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you know what's on the table. Let me ask you this: Would you trade to? Would you trade a first, a fourth, and Sidney Jones for Jalen Ramsey? A first, a fourth, a fourth, and, and, and Sidney Jones. Yes, I would. I'd probably like to try to hold on to Sidney Jones. Okay. He does seem to be starting to figure out how to play in this league. Mm-hmm. But I also still have Avante Maddox, who is very capable of playing the nickel back as well. So from that perspective, assuming I'm planning to retain the services of Ronald Darby, yes, I, tra- I would trade Sidney Jones. Okay. Now, if my long-term plans do not include Ronald Darby, then I'm a little more hesitant to trade Sidney Jones. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not thinking of trading Ronald Darby or letting Ronald Darby go in the, in the long-term plan, then I'm still looking to replace the outside corner. So I would have upgraded, but then long-term I'm still leaving myself with a hole, with a and hole. I would have given up those first-round picks. Mm-hmm. And top-end corners don't come in the generally in second, third, fourth round. Mm-hmm. You know? So You'll, another, Richard Sherman's the exception to the rule. So another aspect that I hear people talking about when it comes to Jalen Ramsey and the possibility of bringing Jalen Ramsey to this team is the fact that at some point in time, you know that Malcolm Jenkins is looking to get some more money. But if you bring in Jalen Ramsey, doesn't he take up the money that you would be, you would hope you would give a little to Malcolm Jenkins? And what do you think bringing in a Jalen Ramsey would do to your relationship with Malcolm Jenkins? Uh, And that's why I I actually brought up the question of Ronald Darby long term. Mm -hmm. Because if you let go of Ronald Darby, that does free up. Nine million or so. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what you so ideally, if you're putting on your general manager's hat, what you're saying is you make the deal for Jalen Ramsey, you bring absolutely. him in, you say goodbye to Ronald Darby, move Sidney Jones up to your second cornerback, and then use that money to appease Malcolm Jenkins. That's what you're saying. That would likely be my long term plan, mm-hmm. but. Ronald Darby, for me, he would either be included in the trade, or I'm not, or I'm looking to trade a piece other than a corner, and just let Darby walk at the end of the year. Mm, okay. Okay. But I would not want to too significantly deplete my secondary this season. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, and we'll we'll as we start 
as we start to make our way out of here for this week. Eagles get torched this weekend. Eagles secondary gets torched this weekend. Say they still win. Matt Stafford still puts up numbers. You see Galladay and Jones both have great days against this secondary. Do they make a do? Well, you know what? They probably can't make a deal next week because they got the short turnaround with the uh, with the Thursday night with the game. Thursday night game. I don't but, think that precludes a deal. Really? I do not. Okay. Truth be told, if I had to guess, Jalen Ramsey is going to be out of Jacksonville by the end of this week. By the end? Okay. You think so? Okay. And that's, and that's just a guess. I don't know anything mm-hmm. for certain, but my hunch would be that he's out of Jacksonville by the end of the week. Oh, boy. All right. Well, look, we we will most certainly, certainly see. All right. Before I let you go, let me get your uh, predictions for Sunday's game against the Detroit Lions. And do you say Eagles. Detroit or do you say Detroit? Detroit. Detroit. Gotcha. Go ahead. Yeah. It's not a Detroit. It's a French word. <laughs> so what do you what, what what are you saying? That, but that being said, I have the Eagles winning this game 27-21. 27-21. All right. I am going 24-13 for the Eagles. 24-13 for the Eagles. You let us know what you think of this show. You can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at BITW Sports. Always at BITW Sports. And you can download the podcast at any time on soundcloud.com slash bitw sports or on apple Podcasts, just search best in the world sports report for my man mike jones who mike jones now remember back in the day i heard they ain't want you don't matter now why is that i'm i'm hot and they all want me i believe that i believe that hey you guys have a great week take care of yourselves but for now i'm out y'all peace you feeling this podcast? To hear this and more, go to soundcloud.com slash BITW Sports or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search Best in the World Sports.